0: All right, coming up is our interview with Chuck Thurston on this edition of the Orancho Radio Podcast. Don't forget to follow us online at UrantiaRadio.net where we archive all of our podcasts and also follow us on Spotify, the home of the Orancho Radio Podcast. We'll talk for about an hour and we're going to cover a whole host of very interesting topics. My time with Chuck Thurston in just a moment on the Urantia Radio Podcast. And that's why I, I wanted to bring you on because you wrote something that I had an opportunity uh, a, a one of my listeners sent me what you wrote uh, and we were, mm. happened to be talking about the Lucifer influence in today's world and Caligastia mm. in his role and I found what you wrote to be absolutely fascinating about that.
1: Mm. Oh, cool.
0: Yeah. And, Was that uh, the um,
1: adjudication yes. time frame? Yes. Yeah. Talking right, about right, the expansion
0: right, right. of time and how time is different for us than it is. So I want to get to a little bit about that, uh, but I do want to kind of do a little bit of an introduction. Chuck Thurston started reading the Arantia book in the mid-70s, and after exploring many other sources of spiritual insight, the discovery of the Arantia book, he says, and its teachings marked the beginning of a new and profoundly life-changing growth in understanding of the nature of God and the meaning of our existence. You know, I think we all kind of ha- have that same thing in common, don't we? Yeah. Yeah,
1: I think we do. Mm-hmm. What Absolutely.
0: did you? What had you tried before? You know, like what were some oh, of your experiences? All kinds, all kinds, of things. You
1: know, things that were popular in the sixties and seventies.
0: Yeah, EST. Um, that was one of them, right?
1: I, I never, I never got into EST. Earhart seminars, seminars mm-hmm. training. Yeah, I had a lot of friends who did, but I, I never did that.
0: The way, the but, way uh, was, I think but, I might have been part of a church group that had the way because I remember our our Bible looked a little different from everybody else's, but it was basically a mm-hmm. sort of a hippie Jesus re- religion. <laughs> you know?
1: <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. No, I didn't. I wasn't that so much, but I was in like Alan Watts and Timothy Leary and mm-hmm. some Eastern Eastern philosophies. Yeah. Things like that.
0: Sure. Ma, yeah. Maha Resh, Mahesh studied, yogi.
1: Studied some of that and some of the Indian philosophies too. I mm-hmm. mean, the India, in India, they evolved the largest concept of infinity. <laughs> I think I've ever found anywhere. I mean, they had a sense of eternity and infinity that was missing from most cultural yeah. philosophies. I, I found that very intriguing.
0: Did you read um, Byron but, uh, uh book about the Odyssey? He recently came out with that one. I didn't don't mean to throw it at you at quickly, but he uh, kind of touched on one? Um, the the Odyssey, and he's again talking oh, about Yeah, about uh,
1: yeah, I've looked at some of that. Mm-hmm. The
0: yeah. b- the yeah. basis of it being if there's a God, why does why are bad things allowed right. to happen? So he really kind of delves into that. Right. Um, but there is yeah. a, an a, the common thing that I'm getting from uh, a lot of people that's different now in this decade than it was in in the 2010s and the certainly the first part of the first part of the new century uh, is that it's become dark and I'm not sure why it seems like it's harder and harder to have faith but it's actually strengthened my own resolve in the Arantia book I've never been more convinced now that the Arantia book Mm -hmm. is what it says it is because it's now it's offering solutions to problems that maybe weren't so prominent in the 1990s you know and, you know, they mm, talk about, well, to, right? I mean, we weren't worried about totalitarianism when I first started reading the Arantia book, but they dedicate an entire chapter to it. And they, uh-huh. give, they give instruction to us. It's almost as if mm. they're giving us something to help us save ourselves from something that's, yeah. a, you know, am I wrong in, well, in th- feeling that way?
1: Well, the threat, is, the threat is always there. And it's certainly been there big time in the, over the last hundred, couple hundred years. So I'm not sure it really went away, but maybe we're, we were distracted <laughs> by other things. Um, but the rise of social media has made me much more aware of a lot of things. I mean, you can't escape it if you if you take an independent and, you know, if you hold an independence of mind and just look to see what's out there, not necessarily going to the mainstream news sources, you know, which tend to have a very indoctrinating effect, because I'm sure you're aware. Yeah, it's changed everything. Yeah, if you look outside of that, then you begin to see more clearly. I think some of these dark forces that are in play, and also the good forces that are rising up in opposition. I mean, that's one of the things I find so encouraging about citizen journalism, and you know, the rise of independent, you know, podcasters and YouTubers and things like that. Some of them are heroic in my mind. I mean, they're so dedicated to getting a show out sometimes every day. they do so much research it's just remarkable so if you find there's good stuff out there online if you can find it you know you just have to have your mind open and then you know have a have a desire for an alternate view on things and it is out there and there's a lot of it i find very encouraging but it's also being oppressed you know, suppressed, opposed. Yeah. Throttled it's, it's, is there's the a real, yeah. There's a real battle going on. I mean, it's been going on for a long time, ever since the rebellion broke out. But it's kind of relocated to this sphere of information. You know, the control of information is a big, big part of where the struggle is taking place right now.
0: It is, because there are people who have a certain agenda— um, mm-hmm. maybe they view humanity. See, you know, to me, the number one problem in the world is that we have a lot of millionaires and a lot of people of tremendous influence, the Mark Zuckerbergs. And, and, and man, the thing that I'd like to do is you shove a Urantia book into their hands and send them mm-hmm. away for a year and make them read that book because. What I see—no, <laughs> seriously, because, you know, Elon, yeah, no, I, they have these illusions I, of grandeur. <laughs> they're going to chemtrail the, sc- yeah. the skies and control the weather, and they're going to do all these radicalized, dehumanized, atomized. Sure. And I know the uh-huh. most highs must be looking down at these these people and going, man, yeah. what are these guys doing? Do any of uh-huh. them know about the Orangia book? Yeah,
1: probably not. Well, it's really—it's a godless kind of thinking, too. Yeah. it's like it, It's like self— Self deification, you know, we need to deify the human race <laughs> as opposed to turning to God for, you know, uh, a sense of reality and guidance. It's wanting to usurp that. I mean, that's what Lucifer was about. You know, his whole rebellion was about self deification, denying the existence of the universal father and positing himself as God, or like Caligasti said, calling himself God of Urantia. Mm-hmm. So that that pattern of self-deification runs all through our culture. Where you know there's a hubris, there's a self-aggrandizing dimension to it that has no real moral limits. And that's part of the problem, because there's no higher sense of reality that we're all part of, you know, the part and the whole relationship. You know, I think part of the secret of moving forward is individuals voluntarily taking responsibility for the good of the whole. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that everyone has a mind toward that. Then it's not just about more for me. It's about what's good for everybody. And that's a real change in thinking that gradually, I'm sure, will occur
0: (laughs) over the future ages. Well, eventually we'll get there. I think eventually we have the potential... You know, there's a couple yeah, of no, lines. Yeah, well, no, of course, yeah. One, one line when, in talking about the different governments and how they evolve at different rates, there's a comment, mm-hmm. I'm not sure exactly where it is, where, where it talks about certain republics are even now in formation. So they may be talking about, you know, maybe uh, some African governments right now that are in their fetal stage, and they haven't quite emerged to that point, or maybe, you know, some European nations that mm-hmm. have the potential— um, you know, to go on yeah. to be, you know, sort of higher achieving. Another quote I'll throw out there says, when three quarters of the youth are distracted or focused uh-huh. on the a- external world, civilization is in danger. Mm-hmm. And, and man, well, think you...
1: about STEM. Think about STEM. That's what STEM is. Science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. Mm. So China, you know, is all about STEM. And they're an officially atheistic country in their philosophy. So that's an example of that. There's no attention at all. I mean, within at least the STEM concept for philosophy or literature or religion, you know, any of those things that we know bring us closer to God and have the real, true, unifying and uplifting influence.
0: I think they have a better potential because it's not there. Uh, In China, you're not seeing the youth uh, smash and grab you're not seeing the youth 10,000 people showing up one day in downtown new york yeah, city because they want to you're seeing that here we're supposed to be the enlightened yeah. ones but we're not I mean, they do
1: have they do have you know yeah. outbreaks of opposition from time to time but yeah. what we're seeing here is something different what we're seeing different here is more like how it was when the communists were taking over yeah like the, the great leap forward Or, you know, what Stalin or what Lenin and those guys were doing in Russia back when they were massacring all the Christians and stuff. So what we're seeing here is kind of the early stage of a communist takeover, you might say. Or it has that look about it. It does, yeah. Uh, And that's kind of what's disturbing about it.
0: Is that the ideological struggle that you think is going on uh, between secularism and and Jesus' teachings? What's the... In your mind, what is the great conflict that the world right now is is going through, based on your knowledge of the Urantia book and your own wisdom?
1: Well, you know, it has different phases and different levels to it. But I have noticed that when something good comes along, it's almost inevitably opposed by something destructive to try and take it down. Uh, so the forces of destruction are very active and responsive to good things when they do begin to happen so we kind of have to be on our guard and aware of that as you know we proceed with our efforts you know to bring the truth of the ranch book into the world and give people a real understanding of jesus and who he was and what he taught you know that's going to be opposed there's just no way to for that you know, there's no way to avoid that, but we can be wise about how we proceed and have some understanding and some anticipation, maybe of the kinds of opposition that will come up, so that we can, you know, kind of be strong about it and perhaps avoid some of the obvious pitfalls.
0: Do you think that but, the Urantia you know, Book but, can? What's that? Do you, uh, in that line of thought, do you think that the Urantia Book can hold up against any arguments that would be pitted against it? In other words, would, you know, I don't well, think a lot of people... Well, it depends on who, yeah.
1: who, who's doing the arguing. Yeah. It's certainly possible. Yeah, of course. I mean, I mean, the Rational Book itself argues for itself very convincingly, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. But for a human, like, you know, for one of us, like you or me or those we know that are dedicated to this work, we have to develop the, the understanding to present the arguments in our own words. Mm-hmm. So we're not just quoting passages out of the book, that we actually have a lived understanding that we can refer to and put into words that's compelling and attractive. That's, see, that's the other part of it. It has to be attractive. I mean, there's nothing attractive about destruction. There's nothing attractive about sin and evil. It appears to have power because it has force behind it. But the consequences of it are not attractive they're not appealing it's not something you want to be part of so what we have on our side is something very very attractive and we have to know how to present it in an attractive way and beyond that create a culture around it that's attractive and that's i think sort of the project we're all working on you know like derek and i in our podcast or your work you're doing the work others are doing we're creating a culture little by little you know slowly but it's emerging. And there's a character to that culture that is inherently appealing to anyone that has their heart open or their spiritual eyes open. So will respond to that and see it and say, yeah, I want to be part of that. I want, to, I want to help. What can I do? You know, that sort of spirit that draws upon the originality and initiative that we each have and potential within us uh, to express our spirit You know, divine spirit inspiration. You know, we have all these gifts of spirit. Mm -hmm. You know, our threefold spirit endowment with the thought adjuster and spirit of truth and and the the Holy Spirit from the Mother Spirit. I mean, it's very powerful, Mm -hmm. very powerful stuff that we've been given. But we need to understand and discover how to experience it. You know, like Jesus said. You know, the important thing is growing in your ability to feel the presence of God. And that I've always taken that comment of his very very much to heart. Yeah. Because that's that's really the transforming type of experience. Yeah. That you know brings us yeah, closer to God.
0: I guess one way of saying it is, you know, I was thinking as you're speaking and you're saying some really compelling moving stuff, but it's like veganism isn't just what you eat, it's a lifestyle, you know? And in mm-hmm. the same way, religion is—it should be religion. Real meaning, everything in your life has to be a spiritual thing. There's a connection through all of it. It's not separated parts. You know, sometimes people have—they yeah. yeah. think religious as being okay. You got to be religious, or you got to believe certain things. But it's actually a connective uh-huh. tissue that ties everything in your life together. Because you know that, like, knowing about the mansion worlds, for example, having that huh. literal. Explain to me what is actually going to happen tells me that I'm going to be held accountable for everything I do here. So, why not start living that life now? You know, why can't we live the lives that the truth that Jesus taught us now, not uh-huh. because we want to be forgiven or receive salvation? That's an assumption. The assumption's already uh-huh. there. You know, by your faith, you're saved, right? So, why can't religion just be a real real realistic approach to living life as a spiritual person? Doing things just knowing that you're doing something good for somebody else is God's will. And it's nothing uh-huh. more or less than that. But
1: well, you know Yeah, you can start that way. Yeah. 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 Well so, and then of course the piece about sharing the inner life with God. You know, that's kind of their <laughs> working definition too. of doing God's will. Is sharing our inner life with God. So that means being in constant communion, just always checking with God, having conversation, having communion, having what I call a feeling of withness, a (laughs) feeling of being with God all the time. And that transforms us, you know, because it's sort of an entrainment almost, you know, familiar with that concept of entrainment. You, You know what I mean by that?
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: It's like you yeah, have two vibrating present. things; that are vibrating at different rates, but after a little while, they start vibrating at the same rate.
0: <laughs> yeah, I've seen that. It's, so, a, it's amazing, yeah, isn't it? How yeah. energy is yeah sort of like that.
1: So yeah. So, so we're invited to entrain with spirit, to, for our thinking to become more and more. Uh, it's true to spirit values, for example, and that's kind of what our adjuster gives us. It gives us, you know picturizations of destiny but it's always in value terms i think so when we Mm. seek guidance what that's going to come through value guidance so like they say the one thing we can always ask for you know in terms of prayer is knowledge of the father's will that we can always ask for and then try to put that into practice but it has to be a result of our own efforts you know we have to try to you know, try to figure it out ourselves but we'll get an inner sense you know that sense of this is the way walk therein, in you know when they talk about the spirit of truth you know at every crossroads and i'm sure you've had that experience i think all of us probably have who have you know an active faith engagement with god where we're are flummoxed or puzzled by some situation that's come up and we can't decide what to do. But we've identified the options, right? I can either do this, I can do this, or I can do that. You know, we put in the work in that sense, and then we lay it before God and we get kind of a, just a value insight. It's kind of almost mysterious, but there's a feeling about one of those options that feels right. And once that happens, it's obvious. Oh yeah, of course, that's the right thing to do. You know? Yeah. And the way that happens, it's an eva- It works on the evaluation level. So you think about decisions. There's always an evaluation. This is one of the things I've talked about at Burning Man. <laughs> there's a sequence of reality flow that I mean, you know we discover after a while. So at Burning Man, I used the the example of like going to Burning Man. Right? Yeah. So the person's like, Well, am I going to go to Burning Man or not? So they have to <laughs> evaluate that decision. Right. Yeah. So if they evaluate the decision, and decide that, yes, they want to do that, then they have to do all the preparations. And that's where it gets on in the mind level. You have to think of all the stuff they got to get together in order to actually make it there. And then finally, you know, they get in their car or their truck and whatever, they hit the road and that's when it it's the material level. So there's this reality flow that always goes from values to meanings, mm. to engagement with material reality. And I don't think people understand that very well. I mean, for me, one of the great revelations of the Orange Book is this understanding of reality, having these three levels, you know, body, mind, and spirit. And they're real. And we can engage those three levels in our growth and decision-making processes and everything we do.
0: How uh, much of it, um, <laughs> what are the building blocks that you have to kind of have in order to be able to go in the direction you're talking about where you can, in other words, what's the, what's the key curiosity? Yeah. Um, uh,
1: curiosity is a big one. I mean, it, it begins with urges, I think, you know, I recently been doing some studies stuff and we did a podcast, or whatever, but about the adjutant mind spirits. Oh yeah. And they're all described as, they're all described as urges, which is kind of a revelation when I noticed that I didn't, I not notice that until was pretty recently. <laughs> I mean, the first couple are described more as intuitions and impulses, but the other five are clearly described as urges. And so those have been put within us to motivate us, to get us moving. So, like, recently I visited my daughter. She has a two-year-old son, right? Yeah. <laughs> He's <just> such a <laughs> bundle of urges. You can't believe it. But it's urges and frustrations. It's this combination of urges and frustrations, you know, and that's why two-year-olds are always, ah, you know, you get all upset, you know, (laughs) but then they try again, you know, but it's the urges that keep us moving, you know, it's like the urge to communicate, for example, Mm -hmm. spirit Mm -hmm. counsel, they have the urge, so these little two-year-olds, you know, he's learning words, like one word at a time, you know, he's just now beginning to string them together into these sort of make-believe sentences, (laughs) but it's all about this urge to communicate, This is the spirit of counsel. So that urge drives our development. Those urges drive our development. And the thought adjuster is also described as an urge. (laughs) And that's our highest spiritual Mm -hmm. urge. So the urge to know God is natural within us if we don't suppress it or deny it.
0: Or if you've been taught uh, that— Yeah. But even that isn't true, because, you know, Falun Gong— Is a good example. You know, for 100 years, these people were taught not to go anywhere near religion or they could risk being imprisoned. And yet somehow some spiritual idea enveloped 100 million people over a 10 year period.
1: Yeah, yeah. Look at the brutality of the suppression of that.
0: (laughs) Yeah. But yet it still emerged like a flower grows through a crack. It still did.
1: Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's a great example. That's a great example.
0: Yeah. But so you're right. God suppress. is reaching down. Uh, what did I read? The quote uh-huh. of the day today was, "The sun will not be satisfied till every mortal has found God," or something. You know, there's there's a reaching down. Mm-hmm. Something is pulling yeah. us in. No, I agree.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'd every be- time we reach up, there's a down reach. There's always an up reach and a down reach going on simultaneously. What
0: is, I want to, I don't, I want to go to something now that I, my instincts tell me. That you have a lot to say about it. What do you think the role, what do you think the relationship will be, or maybe what do you hope the relationship will be between Christians and your mm. Do we need each other?
1: Yeah. Well, that's a really interesting question. Um, I didn't grow up with a really strong, I mean, my family background is all Christian, uh, but my parents were more academics. My dad was more of a science guy and I mean, my mom held on to her Christianity more than my father did, but not that they ever lost it, but to some extent it lost credibility, which I think is what a lot of us have seen, you know, that the Christianity I grew up with, at least, didn't... You know, too much of it just seemed like it was made up or weird, you know, like virgin births and things like that. You know, it's just like there's a loss of credibility if you're coming from more of a scientific background, which I did. Because that was kind of the culture of my family, especially with my father. So I'd always put things through this kind of a reality test in my thinking, you know. To, and with my dad, he would always tell me this. The only way to determine reality is through the repeatable experiment.
0: Right? Yeah, right. The scientific method. But, so that's... Yeah.
1: So that's a principle within within science. You know, if you can repeat the same experiment the same way, then that shows that there's something there. Yeah, right? right. And that works on the material that works on the material level. But then how do you address the levels of philosophy and spirit? and You know, right. all the all the good stuff, you know, beauty, truth and goodness, those things, you know. Right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, our conversations didn't go too far in those directions. But then I found the ranch book, tried to show it to him, and he said, Oh, that's just the science. This is what they believed <laughs> in the 50s, you know. So he kind of dismissed it, which was frustrating, <laughs> without even looking at the rest of it.
0: But, so you don't necessarily I mean, think that Christians are going to adapt and or that somehow uh, the Urantia book will be Christified or. Will there be a marriage? Uh, I mean, because the Urantia book well, seems no, to say that yeah. we need them, uh, that Christianity has its own oh, problems, but right. you know, that's that's if the embryonic, you know.
1: Yeah. But they do say, it's you know, so sort of like Jesus said to the Jews back in the day if you don't accept this, others will.
0: Well, that's Other a than good the Gentiles,
1: point. Yeah. you know, and they'll accept it. Uh, so it's kind of the same yeah. with the Urantia book. If the Christians kind of are so stubborn that they're not willing to look at it, then it'll pass on to others. Others will discover it. And, you know, so my, my sympathies are kind of more with the secularist <laughs> in a weird way. Yeah. Although, uh, you know, I understand Christianity and I see the value of it. And I've come to appreciate it more over the years since I've been studying the Orange Book. I actually have a greater appreciation yeah, of me Christianity too. Yeah, me too. than I had growing they're, up. They're like than brothers, you know. Up.
0: I kind of look at them yeah. as brothers. You yeah. Know?
1: Well, and there's all different kinds of Christians, too. Yeah, you know, they, they shouldn't be all pigeonholed into one box.
0: True, which you know, we tend like to do. The
1: ones that are the most ones that are the most frustrating to me, I guess, are the ones who believe in the inerrancy of the Bible. <laughs> you know, that, yeah, that belief, which is so hardcore and so strong among certain Christians, it just takes turns their minds into knots. I mean, there's just no way you can reconcile. Fair.
0: There's a lot of rigidity, conflicting, yeah,
1: conflicting passages in the Bible. There's nobody can resolve that without an understanding they were written by human yeah. beings who were, you know, some were maybe godlike and a lot of them weren't. You know, there's a lot of political agendas running through the Bible. You know, from the day of its origin. Definitely.
0: Well, the the you chapter know, the old, on the, the sacred, the Old Testament, the
1: old Testament especially. Mm-hmm. I mean, the thing about the Old Testament that people don't seem to grasp is that there's two very different God concepts in play in the Old Testament, and the Old Testament is about the war between these two God concepts you know, the righteous God, Psalms, and some of the early, you know, coming from the Salem missionaries and other sources. And then there's stuff that started happening in, in around 600 BC, where the effort to, to sabotage Michael's bestowal got underway. And they in, introduced all these really dark and demonic nationalist, cruel nationalist teachings, you know, that began with
0: Deuteronomy.
1: And <clears throat> that really poisoned the the receptivity of the, you know, the Hebrew nation.
0: That's right, for that, Michael, yes.
1: For Michael's bestowal. And that's totally in, in conflict, but not only the earlier teachings, the older teachings. You know, the best stuff in the Bible is the oldest stuff. <laughs> but then there were also the prophets. I mean, you get like Isaiah and some of those, and there's wonderful, wonderful stuff there. But it wasn't enough to, to open their hearts.
0: Was this your uh, position then that you believe that since Caligastia was aware that Michael was going to be, uh, uh, that he tried to Uh sabotage it by making, by basically militarizing Jewish theology so that it would become antagonistic about, uh, against every other tribe, right? And so that was a way of poison-pilling in a way, uh, so that when Michael would come, right. Yeah,
1: that's, that's one of the things he did. He did some other things too, but that was a big one. Was poisoning the scriptures mm-hmm. of the Hebrew nation.
0: Yeah, and to, and to, to where this they day, they still that. They were so enamored
1: with this these new promises of worldly power mm-hmm. and dominion, at least the leadership, that the idea of becoming spiritual teachers bringing God to the other nations. they said, oh, that's boring. We don't want to do that. We want to take over the world and have power and glory. So there was a switcheroo in there that mm-hmm. happened, you know. Sorry,
0: well, and and I also see a little bit of— in you
1: know, so starting around 600 B.C. And, yeah. and earlier, but that was the— yeah, definitely a poison pill. So you, you see the intransigence of the Jewish leaders during the time of Jesus. I mean, individuals were very willing, some at least, were very willing to hear what he had to say. Mm-hmm. But the, the leaders were intransigent. And the goal, you know, with Melchizedek, 2,000 years earlier, was to have the Hebrew nation welcome Jesus and then carry his message to the world. That was the plan. That was Maccabana's plan. And the uh, the first thing that happened to derail that was the dispersion of the northern kingdom, because those were the... Israelites. Mm-hmm. The Israelites were the northern kingdom. And you know the story about Nathaniel. you know. <laughs> Jesus met Nathanael, you remember what he said? <laughs> Behold, the <a> genuine <laughs> Israelite in whom there is no deceit. <laughs> and, that, <laughs> and that's how Jesus would have been received
0: Had by they the not, northern you know, kingdom.
1: Yeah. But it was wiped out, it was dispersed. You know, the people were scattered. So the, all was left was the Judites in the south which were taken over by the priesthood, and that's when they started introducing those nationalistic teachings that took the place of the original covenant with this new covenant that, you know, if you massacre all the surrounding tribes, (laughs) you'll win, right, or something like that. So instead of taking God to the, rest, to the other nations, they were taking fear and destruction to the other nations, which is a complete inversion of the original covenant,
0: you know, with Macaventa
1: and Abraham. So to me, that seemed like a very deliberate move on Calagasso's part, and it had a very telling effect, as we can see. Mm-hmm. Because Macaventa was never able to bring the Hebrew nation around to the point that they would welcome and recognize
0: Jesus. Because they were looking Even for a political with, deliverer, right?
1: Well, right. Yeah, right. And that was done. I mean, that was a deliberate thing. It was done. Uh, starting around 600 B.C. with the introduction to Deuteronomy. Uh, so that's a, you know, and they tell the story. Well, Jesus mentioned, uh, you know, the, the Witch of Endor. Remember that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Where, you know, she's going along with the apostles. I guess they were in Endor or something. So he recounted a little bit about the, that story. And you can find it in the Old Testament. It's very clearly told about the wish of Endor, you know, about how uh, the advice was given. You know, <laughs> you know there's this woman with a familiar spirit who called up apparently a, a secondary midwire pretending to be Samuel or, or um, something like that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that, you know, caused—who was it? Not Cyrus, but the—who um, uh, was it that, that was the leader at that point? Ah, oh, jeez, what am I not thinking of his name? But anyway, so—but he lost that battle, and a lot of—him losing that battle, the ranch book describes as tragic, and that was set up by this meeting where he had gone to try to get advice from mm-hmm. the witch of Endo and, and a secondary midwear posing as Samuel raised from the Dead misled him. So—
0: now, was that an evil fallen midwear that had done yeah, this? Yeah. yeah, that's right.
1: Yeah, that's what that's what mm-hmm. Jesus was saying to his, mm-hmm. his mm-hmm. apostles when they were in Endor. Oh, that's so that's so this, right. Gonna, yeah, he's
0: referencing that.
1: So this is going to stop. These, these yeah. rebel is going to be rounded up after I'm gone. So this is not going to continue. But you should understand that this is exactly, is actually what happened during that time. So it's not hard to imagine around 600 B.C., the same thing, you know, rebel midwares, Caligasia, you get know, a rebel midwear opposes the Lord Thy God, or something like that, and present all these teachings. Just overall, the tribal elders, thinking they're talking to God when they're actually talking to Caligastia, mm-hmm. and, and that the teachings yeah. got into the got into those scriptures that way, probably at least that's my
0: well, that's sort of theory. I guess. Then that raises another question. I'll ask then: and what do you think, if anything, Caligastia might be doing to inhibit the growth of the Arantia book? Or do you think uh, yeah. that the Urantia book is on the right course <laughs> for right now? Yeah. What do you think? Yeah,
1: no, that's a that's a good question. Um, Well, mm,
0: I don't know. Any thoughts? <laughs> Some people um, say it's not growing fast enough. N- not from what I can mm-hmm. see. I mean, I get the reports like a lot of people. You know, uh, uh, the reports are looking pretty good. I mean, you know, for a book that doesn't get any kind of marketing or advertising or uh-huh. You know, it's growing phenomenally in in places in Africa, and places I would never would Mm -hmm. have, South America. Yeah, uh, South South
1: America. But then they got the whole thing going on. Is it it doing anything in Europe? Yeah, Europe. See, that that was a result of World War II. Europe was secularized and Mm. religion was discredited. And that was one of the purposes of World War II was to destroy Christianity and nationhood and all that stuff. So that was pretty that effort on Calgastity's part was pretty successful in Europe, and we see the consequences of that, especially in the Scandinavian countries. You know, they've gone very atheistic.
0: On the other hand, countries uh, like Hungary seem to be rekindling yeah, Christianity, of exactly. even yeah, Russia. The
1: Baltic states and the Eastern Europe, they've held on more mm-hmm. successfully, I think, to their Christian faith. Yeah. And other countries too. I mean, you go to, I was in Italy some years ago and they still all turn out, you know, and yeah. they have cathedrals oh, yeah. everywhere. Sure. You know, yeah. so you, there's there's stuff going on that's still alive in people's hearts. What do you think the, the
0: Midwayers are um, folk uh, what do you think their concerns are right now? You ever uh, talk to anybody about well, that, like amongst fellow Urantians? Because we know that. From the Apocrypha, some of the writings were that the Midwares were very concerned about communism during, and it delayed the publishing of the, the book.
1: Yeah, that's one of those apocryphal stories that I have questions about, actually, because mm-hmm. it wasn't as if communism popped up out of nowhere in that's 1950. That's true. Yeah. I mean, it was it got started way earlier, and that's what World War II was about.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: You know, it was about communism. And it began even much earlier than that. So it, it, communism didn't just start. <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> the, and, da- yeah. the danger of communism.
0: So I, I wonder about some of those yeah. stories, you know. Uh, tell me but a little bit. I want to I want to get to some of the more exciting things that are you, you and Derek are doing. Tell us a little bit hmm. about, I know you also should get good credit, you and Christy Larson, part of the Cosmic uh, Blog Talk Radio thing that's been around for like a decade now, right?
1: Wait, you mean... Um,
0: Cosmic citizen? Yeah, is it a cosmic citizen? I'm talking about.
1: Yeah, that's Paula.
0: Paula okay. Thompson. Yeah. So yeah. tell me so, about some of your probably. other uh, your other endeavors, uh, specifically uh, with the UB Films and what you're doing with Derek. You guys have right, been also right. involved with that. So how is that coming along? Are you finding more and more new readers? Are you finding you're making an impact? What is? Tell us. Yeah.
1: No, our our subscribers grown a lot. You know since we've started you know we have well well over thousand subscribers now i mean i don't know what the current number is mm-hmm. but i uh i feel like we're you know achieving as much success as we can hope for it takes time for these things to take hold but we get a lot of interesting comments and people are finding the podcasts that aren't necessarily your book readers, and commenting positively about them so i take that as a hopeful sign i mean some of the topics you know there's Understanding about a lot of these things is not very, <laughs> as you know, out there in the culture. Yeah, there's a lot of confusion about a lot of things, and you know we run, run up against that. But people are are glad to hear what we're talking about. Generally, I mean, for the first I don't know a couple of years, we were doing mostly like spiritual topics, like stuff about Jesus and other things uh, related to. Mind and spirit and things, you know, Maranja and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And then lately we've been doing more historical topics. And those are also being very well received. You know, like we did a show about Noah, for example. Like we're taking, okay, here's what it says in the Bible, here's what it says in the Ranch book, you know, and comparing them and developing an understanding that sort of tries to incorporate both perspectives. when people can get a better idea of where the stuff in the Bible came from. Yeah, and then uplifting that was what we learned from the Arancha book, you know. So there's like several Noahs, for example, (laughs) and you know how does that all sort out? And same thing with the book with Enoch, the Book of Enoch. That was a really interesting one to research and prepare because there's several Enoch's as well. Uh,
0: You mean in uh, biblical history? What do you mean? There's several Enoch's?
1: Well, there's the Enoch that was the son of Cain Mm -hmm. over in in the land of Nod, right. who became a you know, a spiritual teacher. But then there's the biblical idea that Enoch was a son of was still part of the Adamic mm-hmm. regime. Ah, and they but the Bible see so doesn't understand about the second garden versus the first garden. Right. So everything in the Bible that's referenced as the Garden of Eden or Adam and Eve is all really the second garden. Mm-hmm. There's no un, uh, awareness understanding of the first garden.
0: That's oh, interesting. That's, I never yeah, really that's, thought that's, about that. Um, you're right. Yeah. Well, although there are references made in uh, Genesis about the three rivers, and I I would think that had more to do with uh, the first garden before uh, it fell. Yeah,
1: there might be some there might be some hints. But yeah. in terms of the and the, the mist would come up, you know, and, and all that. Yeah. Right? yeah, yeah, right. So the the um, but then there's the Book of Enoch. You know who wrote the Book of Enoch? And you that's know, not the, the same even, as you know. yeah.
0: So clarify that for me. Is the Book of Enoch written? Now is that the Enoch that uh, translated with his thought adjuster? And actually, well, that's
1: one of the questions. So we know that Enoch fused,
0: right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's which, his e- distinction.
1: Which Enoch was was yeah. that right? Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> was he the author of the Book of Enoch? I mean, these are questions that are hard to really fully answer. But one of the things that I've noticed as i preparing some of these shows is that there's a huge body of apocrypha out there. You know, and the Book of Enoch is one of them. Right. It almost made it into the Bible, but didn't. Right. Right, right. Mm-hmm. But but there are many others, like the Book of Jasher, for example. And I don't know if you mm-hmm. go to the website to track this up. There's literally, I don't know, maybe I don't know, hundreds, but mm-hmm. yeah, right. <laughs> close to that of other books that are when you begin to look into this stuff you realize that the books that are in the bible they're also apocrypha. <laughs> it's just the ones that they happen to select
0: <laughs> the ones they like <laughs> there's
1: all these other books that <laughs> maybe have equal standing in some sense or have certainly have worthwhile mm-hmm. material in them that maybe could be also taken seriously so that's that's a big puzzle you know what to do with all the apocrypha like in the which one is it i think it's in the the second book of Enoch, if I'm not sure, there's a whole section that describes the, the rebellion in Dalmatia.
0: I'd like to read that. How can but I with find different that?
1: Name, but with different names.
0: Oh, I see. You
1: know, the, the, the names are different. But if you follow the story, it sounds exactly like mm. what happened in Dalmatia.
0: You know, Interesting. Interesting.
1: <laughs> yeah. So there's these echoes reaching way back into the past in some of these writings. And you just sort of, your jaw drops. I mean, the power of of um, oral tradition to carry forward some of these stories over just incredible stretches of time. It's just like, you know, it's awesome. I mean, it's hard to believe, but there it is. You know, so you can find these things. Um,
0: Um, A couple of minutes left. I want to talk quickly. Are you surprised I noticed AI has a real good grasp, or at least it seems to me somebody sent me something the other day, where they asked Chat GPT to create a website that has all the other Urantia related websites. And it assembled mm. a collection of all these websites that are out there that are, it's beautiful. I'm, mm. I don't even, wow. anyway, her website or the person who wrote it, UrantiaResources.com, that's actually created by huh. AI. And I did a couple of experiments with AI, I'm not a big fan of AI, I'm kind of hands off on this one. Uh, uh oh. but I'm I'm amazed at how much uh, it it is able to pull a fairly cohesive, mm-hmm. uh, somewhat accurate representation of the arrangement. It.
1: You got to watch it though, because it'll yeah. be, there'll be really some very it isn't things. that yeah. just embedded in like, yeah, even the equals, yeah. So you have to you have to.
0: It wouldn't be a good resource the, to find out discretion. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But um, but
1: some of the stuff he comes up with is pretty remarkable. You know, I forgot I mean, I'm to moving, ha- uh, go this ahead. to create imagery for our podcast. Oh
0: now. yeah, oh yeah, right. And that's,
1: and that's that's been hugely helpful. I mean, I mean, it takes some trial and error sometimes to get something useful. But you know, like I was trying to get an image of a, of a fandor. You know, somebody writing on a fandor. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so I, so I, in my prompt. My prompt that I put in, I put in passenger bird, right? Yeah. <laughs> and then, then uh, Midjourney came back with a bird sitting in an airplane <laughs> looking out the window. <laughs> literal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it could be very literal. That's you're one a of things about should mention Mid-Journey. you're.
0: <laughs> it can, yeah, you're a digital artist and a photographer, uh, so you enjoy yeah, yeah, putting yeah. together works of your uh, concerts. concepts. Sure, sure. Yeah. Where could yeah, we go yeah. and see some of your work?
1: Well, yeah. I have an Instagram account. Oh, okay. Uh, it's, th- it's thurston.chuck.
0: All right, I'll I'll yeah. I'll follow you.
1: At thurston.chuck. Yeah, and that's at all. Thurston. That's not your stuff. It's just photography. Like, um, I've been doing photography for a long time, so I try to imbue it with a spiritual sense that it's not specifically on you know, my like, rancher topics and things like
0: that. I see. You're trying to create <laughs> marantia. See, that's the attempt that's, that's at it. marantia, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. I should also give credit to Derek as well because he puts together a really nice production. I don't know who's behind it, but I know the behind the scenes is is crucial to anything. And um, mm-hmm. do you think the there will ever? Do you think pop culture will kind of end it with this? I want to kind of end it on a lighter note, but I I've, I look at the amazement of the popularity of things like Star Wars. Well, it used to be back when it was a real good. Star Trek, some of the uh-huh. stuff. It seems like the young people today are ready to start talking about life on other planets and they're kind of assuming mm-hmm. that, that we're yeah. not alone. It seems like they would be ripe for a lot of the information that's in the Arantia book and would get them very yeah. excited yeah. about the future.
1: Yeah, well, that's one of the reasons we're doing this historical stuff. You know, it's like the ancient aliens and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Captured people's imagination. So trying to fill in some of the real history. Which is just as cool, if not cooler, <laughs> the stuff they make up, Yeah, you know, along those lines. I mean, not completely without evidence. I mean, the stuff that, you know, the ancient aliens, people, they do the best they can with the information they have available, I, I suppose. Uh, but it's exciting to be able to talk about those things in a way that actually ties it back to real history. We can find, like, real artifacts. Yeah. Uh, show the reality of some of these things that are described in the Urantia book that are mistaken to be, well, in a way, sort of, you know, we have been visited and
0: endowed by... Oh, yeah, many times, right?
1: Off-planet, I, yeah. off-planet gifts of culture and race, even genetics and things. So that's real. That stuff's real. It's just how you understand it and how you understand the purpose of it and what's behind it. That's kind of the key That's often missing, that there's a divine purpose, you know, that's what's always missing to it.
0: That that actually, to me, is the missing element to a lot of this ancient alien stuff. They're not clear on the motive. They think that these people are just popping up and it's like everything else random and they just showed up and they found us. No, 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 no. We are here. I'll see if I can find this quickly. If I can, I'll be proud of myself. If not. (laughs) <laughs> okay, I got inspired I, watching Ancient Aliens. It's a fun thing to do, but here's the literal flat fact: If you're a drive-by, here's what the Urantia Book says. Urantia is the six hundred and sixth world in the twenty fourth system of the seventieth constellation in the eighty fourth universe. Our universe capital is called Salvington. It is one of a hundred thousand local universes in the se- in the seven universes which comprise this. And make up the entire uh, seven universes. The current, what do they call it? It's the gr- Grand Universe. Uh, Havona is the central universe that encircles the the Isle of Paradise, the dwelling place of the Universal Father, the Eternal Son, and the Infinite Spirit. That's about as literal as you're going to get. Yeah. And yeah. in, 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 right. in, in in explaining just how organized our our universe really is. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Totally. Exactly. So that it's means there's
0: 613 thir- planets that have evolved life since our planet evolved uh-huh. life. It takes us to 619. So if you, mo- you divide that by a billion years, it seems like every million years or so, give or take, there's a new planet emerging with life. Mm-hmm. Now, when you look at it from that perspective, it's, it's very literal. It's very physical. It's not very romantic. Uh-huh. But it, it makes yeah. the point that we're in an organized world system here. Right. This isn't random causation. Right. I just thought I'd right. share that with you, you know? So
1: Yeah. Well to go along with that, this sort of fascination or fixation on ETs or UFOs or extraplanetary mortal species, I think is driven to some extent, and maybe to a large extent, by an intuitive desire to understand the presence of celestial beings. Because the understanding of the presence of celestial beings has been largely lost, and that's, that's what we really yeah. need. To, well, that's what we really need to know about. Right, and that's what the Uranus book teaches us about. You know, about the midwives and the angels and all these other beings that we can't see, but they're here and they're here to help us. So I think there's been a kind of a transposition going on, maybe on an intuitive level or something, uh, where. This urge to know about celestial life has been sort of
0: twisted aside. into
1: this fascination with ETs and UFOs. Oh, uh, yeah. Which is not as, I don't think that has anywhere near the significance.
0: What's as that one? The celestial
1: w- <laughs> presence on the planet.
0: <laughs> the opening of the uh, papers on the seraphic planet. Government at roll call today, <laughs>
1: yeah, I right love that. exactly. They have their morning meeting that they describe <laughs> and who attends and all of that.
0: Yeah, I think my the, favorite is the creation of uh the Andronover Nebula, where there was actually oh, yeah. a, a, a being who went out and filed a permit. <laughs>
1: uh huh, yeah, they had to file a permit, they had to wait for the paperwork.
0: <laughs> I yeah, that's hysterical. But it's real, you know.
1: It's all
0: just fascinating. It's mind-blowing, um, really. Really, if you think yeah. about that. The whole thing is mind-blowing. Yeah. And You know, who knows? Maybe it didn't come in time to save this civilization, which I wonder. You huh? know, remember they said, boy, know. if Jesus had, had come just maybe a couple of decades earlier, would he have been able to save the Roman Empire? And so mm, I think I about know. that a lot, you know. Um, yeah. But he, he, got, he was well, smart. He, he had the Greeks as a plan B, and it worked for him. did. Yeah. Yeah. That was right. smart. I mean, it
1: wasn't what they intended.
0: But, no. you know, there
1: were workarounds. So he made the best of the situation as he found it. No question about that.
0: You know what I found also and Mel- fascinating? And Mel- yeah,
1: MacAvena was right there, too. Yeah. You know, uh-huh. constantly, you know, this battle of wits with Calagasty was going on all the way down.
0: That's uh, a fascinating so. aspect, too.
1: Yeah, but it wasn't God's plan for Jesus to be crucified. No, <laughs> and it no. wasn't Melchizedek's plan either, and
0: it wasn't Jesus' plan. <laughs> it was Calvinist's plan. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's a yeah. uh, so. in reading the paper nineteen. One uh, reader recommended I read uh, paper one nineteen, which goes through all of the bestowal experiences of Michael and.
1: Oh yeah, and yeah, I just
0: exactly. realized after forty years of studying this, you know he he got a lot of of experience working with rebellion, seared. He
1: did. Yeah. He 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 went into rebellion situations.
0: Yeah. I wonder if he had the foresight to think, I know where my last bestowal is going to be, so I better learn as much as I can about (laughs) all of
1: this. That's pretty smart. I don't know.
0: Yeah. Mm. All right. Well, again, uh, Chuck Thurston, um, and just follow him on Instagram, and I'm sure you'll find him out there. I see him all the time out there. On anything <laughs> great writings that you have in your work well, with UB Yeah, Films. mainly
1: is our pod, our UBN channel. Yeah. UBN, UBN Screw Truth channel.
0: And that's on YouTube. That's where we do yeah. so that's where
1: we do our Urantia stuff. Yeah.
0: Okay. That's on YouTube. Very good. Yeah. Chuck Thurston, ladies and gentlemen, on this edition of the Urantia Radio Podcast.